Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. 1841. New Orleans. Greetings. Greetings. I'm so glad to have everybody here with the Did You Know series. Oh, I love this series. I love being able to bring information to people, information that we may have known about. Actually, in this situation, uh, this is information that you may have actually been alive for. I remember clearly Flojo, Florence Griffin Jr., uh, Joyner. It was awesome. It was awesome. But anyways, I'm so glad for those that are able to check me out live and for those that are going to come back and listen to it later. Um, I am your National Director of Operations 7 under the direction of Chairman Yanga and Chief of Staff War. And um, we came up with Did You Know the series? And what this is doing, and this is not, even though we started it this month and it's Black History Month, this is not a Black History program. This is a history program. We're not doing this for Black History Month. We're doing this because this is part of the legacy that we fight for. This is part of the legacy that we are still building on. And and that's one thing that I, I really, really like about, you know, what I've heard so far with the programming This is about taking information from those taking information from those that have been trying to uh, make this work and and, and trying to excel in their fields and everything else like that, and they are still adding to the history that we have, adding more to the history and, um, you know, just becoming uh, the continuation to the history that they've had. And that's what history is supposed to be. At this point, we are supposed to be continuing the rich history that we were born into, the legacy. And so I wanted to take a moment. This whole series is about shouting out those that work hard to create the the excellence, and then what does this mean to you? How does this apply to you? Uh, so, so far we have done, and it's been absolutely awesome, we had Mother Harriet Tubman. We had Mother Ida B. Wells. We've had Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, and now we have Lojo, Florence Joyner. And so this has been awesome. And we're not going to just talk about the women, folks. Men are going to get a chance to shout out their people. Men are going to get a chance to say, hey, look, this is what we're about. 
you know. But for right now, it's been the big mamas holding it down. So when we get that male energy in here, they're going to shout out the men folk, and they're going to let us know some of the great men that have left legacies for us to follow and what it means to them. But tonight we've got to get to the women folk. Um, I remember as a child, sometimes I feel bad for those that are growing up now or after me because we had a lot of positive role models. We had positive role models. We had positivity. You know, we had people that, you know, to, to hear and to say black is proud was not a big deal. You know, we had um, black product, black stores, black businesses. I, this was just a part of my regular life, you know, doing junior high in Washington, D.C., doing Miami, down, doing a high school down in Miami, um, we grew up with an understanding of black excellence, black business, black entrepreneurs, um, black partnering, black organizations. Uh, This was just a regular part of our life, and it was wonderful, right? So now things have changed. Uh, I love – I was doing a couple of hip-hop quotes I was working with some people trying to educate them on the greatness of hip-hop and where it started off as an, as an educational tool, not this blasphemous, no talent, or I, I'm, I'm going to say low talent, okay? I don't want to take everything away, but good grief. Um, what it is now as compared to what it was, complete apples and oranges, complete so speaking about Ms. Joyner, I don't want to take any time away from her. Um, Florence Joyner was born December 21st, 1959, and lived until September 21st, 1998. She was a young woman. She unfortunately transitioned in 1998. I remember that because um, I was an adult. You know, and she she died at 38. You know, she was only, I don't get me to lying, but I think, yeah, no, she was only 10 years older than me. And so, you know, the idea that a woman so fit would transition, you know, and did transition, it I remember it being very uh, um, influential at that moment. But... Flojo was the fastest woman of all time. She set records in 1998 that are still in effect. They can't touch these records. And, I mean, it is, I mean, every year we have people that come out and try to beat the records and trying to do this and try to new. She still has them in place from 1998, three decades. You know, that's that's amazing to me. But that lets you know how amazing she was, okay? She was child number seven of 11 children. Grew up in California. Um, She went to, let me see, California State University, 
and had to, and, and she's always done track. She did track as a child. I think like in when she was 14 and 15, she won, um, you know, her local rec track. But that was it. Okay. She had to drop out of school. She ran track in um, at California State, and she had to drop out to help take care of her family. And she uh, was a banker. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if she had stayed in banking? Can you imagine if we would have missed the greatness of her out on that field? Miss Joyner had a coach who coached her in at um, California State. And when he went to a bigger school, um, he got her a scholarship and said, you have to come back and you have to run track. And she did okay. She qualified here and there, but it was not the Flojo that we all know, you know. Um, but she was good, and she competed on an Olympic level. Uh, and then she uh, she got married, and um, so she decided she had, after she graduated, she went back to banking. That was her job. And um, she got married and then decided that she wanted to compete again. And when she went back to compete, her coach taught her um, two days a week, and her husband, who was an athlete himself, he was um, he competed, I believe, in the nineteen. Let me see, couple five. I think it was the nineteen eighty Olympics, triple long jump. And she, yeah, she competed. He competed in a triple long jump, and worked to um, train her. So he trained her three days a week. And she continued to qualify. She did all right, very almost average athlete. You know, not average, average. She was still competing on an Olympic level. Greetings. I hope that everyone can hear me now. I have, um, I guess I'm having some technical difficulties. I would not be surprised. They did call for tornadoes in this area, so I'm not sure what's going on. But I'm going to try to continue to do the show. Um, I hope everybody can hear it. I'm going to can go back and listen to see if it was all recorded well, okay? But um, I was at the point where she got married to um, Al Joyner. She got married to Al Joyner, and he started training her. And she was doing well, competing on, you know, Olympic levels, but still barely qualifying for um, the Olympics, still barely, you know, you know, not getting in um, to the places that she wanted to go. And because she was really only barely making the uh, qualifications, she wasn't getting a lot of endorsements. Also, you know, the fact that she was African-American was not helping her the endorsements either. And so she was really, really disheartened by the um, the lack of support, the, the lack of energy, and 
she was part of the coach's name is Kersey. She was she was part of his management team. So she felt as if she wasn't getting enough attention as an athlete or as a um, personality. So what she did is she decided that she was going to go full-time. You know, she was going to go full-time, work with her husband full-time. He went into coaching her full-time. And um, then they started training for the Olympics. She went into – she qualified for the 1980 Olympics, but the United States boycotted that Olympics. So even though she qualified for it, wasn't able to compete in it. Um, 19, let me see, Seoul, the Seoul Games. Um, that's where she was. She didn't, uh, wasn't available to go. Then she went to, let me see, and competed in the 1984 Los Angeles Games and won the silver, the 200 medal. And, um, you know, again, she was still with Curse. She was banking in between, and then she decided, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go 100% into my business and 100% into my husband. And she got a new management company. So in 1988, she went to, um, she won the Olympics three gold medals and one silver, and that was the big break. Everyone got to see her. Everyone got to see her compete. It was a wonderful event. What I loved about Elogio, what I loved about Florence Joyner is not just her determination to win. Um, Like I said all during this program, she was an all right athlete. You know what I'm saying? She didn't start off this super flashy, 100% win everything. Um, She didn't start off with that. She was kind of hit or miss, you know. She struggled with it. She wasn't afforded all of the, um, you know, she had to have her coach come back and find scholarships for her. She didn't have access to a lot of the resources that other people, you know, were able to. And so – I love kind of like the underdog story. (laughs) I love the fact that she continued to go and everyone was was supporting her, and and it it was an amazing event. So she won three golds and um, one silver. When she won that, everything exploded. She won. After that, she had the million-dollar endorsement, um, but a year after that, she retired quite abruptly, but she stayed in the public's eye with acting and designing. You know, she designed uniforms for a lot of the professional NBA players, um, and, and, you know, she was very, very open. I loved watching her run. I, I mean, it was you know, <laughs> I loved watching it run. Be, watching her run because she didn't look like our average runners. Our average runners look um, actually kind of stocky. Um, 
no flair, uh, just a little short, and that was that. Flojo was dramatic, uh, amazing. It she was all of that, and she, um, you know, she would wear, and it was kind of weird looking, especially at the time. Um, she wore the they called them one leggers. They had pants. It looked like a tight all the way down to her ankle on one leg. And the other leg looked like she was wearing a bathing suit. Um, she used to wear her nails, long four-inch nails, and a head full of hair. She had, like, Shaka Khan, Dinah Ross hair, big, huge curls. And, you know, this is <laughs> runners. Runners and swimmers don't do hair because they're always, you know, trying to get a fraction of the speed cut off. You know, runners traditionally are not flashy. They're wearing their their country's colors and, you know, their school uniform, whatever. This woman was wearing stripes, lime green, (laughs) white bikini-looking bottoms with, you know, just the most dramatic colors you can imagine. And her fingernails, she had her fingernails painted tiger stripes, okay? And I was like, this woman is awesome. You know, to me, it was like she wasn't afraid to be black. Not just good at what she does. Not just like I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. She wasn't afraid to be black. You know, they, they talk about how she would wear jewelry. Now, jewelry is not, not allowed. It's just that no one wears it because it's just another weight, you know, something else to think about. She didn't care. You know, she looked like she just came from hanging out, shopping at the mall, and I'm about to go run this race and beat the socks off of y'all. And so, you know, it was that kind of attitude that I absolutely love respected. It was wonderful to be able to see her, you know, to see her and to have little girls see her, you know. This was, to me, I mean, now we've always had track and field. Track and field, when we started playing, when we started working in track and field, we were dominating track and field. We've always, um, that has always Olympic-wise been our sport. But She did it with style, okay? She did it and made it look easy, and we know it wasn't easy. So when she was winning the gold, she won the gold in 100, when the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the four and 100 meter, still sprinting, and um, that silver was the four and 400 meter, okay? And so um, after she retired and she spent the time, kind of doing the TV circuit and everything else that they do. Um, at that point, she decided she thought she was going to come back. She said she wanted to come back and win the gold in the four meter. She she didn't want to <laughs> she didn't want to sit with the silver, but she had an injury which stopped her from competing on that level again. Um, her husband never went back to uh, went back to compete. So he stayed her coach, and um, that was that's what he did. But in 
they said, you know, the majority of her support, all of the millions of dollars and endorsements and everything else, that came from Japan. Imagine that, family. The Japanese little boys and girls were in to Flojo. And I think it said uh, Barbie has a, a doll in her likeness. That that's that may not be a big deal for y'all, but it's a big deal for little black girls. Being able to have an option and and have their someone that they see, someone their hero, be able to uh, come back and have a doll of her. How awesome is that? So, you know, it was very, very cool. I, I absolutely love her. I loved her. I love the idea of, you know, um, in Big Bomber's house, we had a show called Black Power Couples, you know. And um, this is another one of the great examples of seeing men and women working together to create something amazing and powerful and strong. So loved it. Absolutely love it. And um, so just, you know, shouting out the two. If there's ever a show that you miss, you want to see, all you have to do is go to the People's Black Panther Party group, and all the shows are listed right there. Um, You'll be able to check out the shows that the chairman does on Tuesdays. Um, Let's talk about it. You'll be able to check out the Rotating Net show that we do every Sunday, between Big Bomber's House, um, Chairman Yanga, and Chief War and the Panther 48. So, you know, that those are always there and available. But the Did You Know series, we're doing that every Thursday. Every Thursday you're going to hear from a member of the, Pamper, of the People's Black Panther Party, and you're going to hear us talk about one person and their impact and their influence on what they did and and how it's still impacting us. So, you know, this was right up my alley. Um, I remember in in high school I was a swimmer, I did soccer. um, uh, Down in Miami, everybody played soccer. But, you know, those were my, my two sports along with, you know, I did French and all this other stuff. But my sports, I did soccer, I did, I swam. Um, As an African-American down in Miami, where I am, Miami is the the real melting pot. I know New York wants to be the melting pot, but down in Miami, we get our fondue one, okay? You'll see a lot of different types of people. In the pool, I was one of the few African-Americans that would compete in swimming, Everyone else, you know, swimming was really considered a white sport, and I'm sure it was because of the hair and everything else like that. And so, you know, I, I get the idea that, you know, not a lot of African American, um, not a lot of African Americans, in particular African American women, did swimming. So I played a sport down in Miami where were tons of black people types of black people, you know, Caribbean, everything. And I'm the only one. I'm the only black person at the pool. You know, it was and and if there was one or two other black people, they were men. They were guys, you know, not the women. And so 
it was very interesting for me having that experience playing sports and being very by myself. You know, and I understand what it feels like to think you have to represent for your whole race, you know what I'm saying, because many times they're like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm here because I want to be. I was never really good at it. I just was I just was there because I wanted to be. And um, I earned a spot to get there. I qualified. I'm going to do it. And so that's what I did. And it was difficult. It was super difficult. So I can only imagine um, what Ms. Joyner was feeling, um, needing money, having to support her family, but in your heart knowing that you're an Olympic runner, having to come back time after time in between stops, you know, not not being able to go to school, in between not having the coaching support that you want. And I can only imagine how many times she had to get back up on her feet. See, this is the story they don't tell you. This is, you know, this is why we have to take the time to do our own research, to learn who these people were, to apply this lesson to ourselves and, and, and really spend the time um, trying to understand what they were going through, you know. What was it like to have uh, your dream of sports and school and everything else washed away because you didn't have the financial financial resources? And I know for a fact that's pro- that's some of the problem that we still experience. We have so much talent that it that literally goes to waste. It's lost because of money, because of situations in in the family home, um, no matter what. So you know, this was the comeback kid for me. You know, I, I loved it. I loved her her blackness. I loved her determination. And I, I can imagine, you know, some of her naysayers were like, you know, the audacity. The audacity is you. Why are you still here? What are you doing? So, um, yeah, this is why I had to speak about her. Uh, in speaking about her, you know, in history, I always like to paint a picture you know, I, I I need people to understand one of the reasons why I continue to select female names, why I continue to select women to highlight is because women, I know my brothers haven't had it hard, and I don't even want to say that in past tense. It's still hard, you know, but women have had it even harder. There has been times, places, and spaces where we weren't allowed to compete um, and we had to learn how to create history our own special way, right? So I, I want to talk to you about someone who had to, who paved the way for Miss Joyner, and her name is Alice Coachman. Alice Coachman specialized in the high jump. She was born in November 1923 and died in July 2014. 2014. Not even 10 years ago. She won the the first gold medal as an African-American woman. Okay? She did high school in um, 
high school in Tuskegee, and she did college at Albany State. Albany State College is right down the street. In fact, I don't think Albany State College exists anymore because Albany State, which is an HBCU, um, merged with Dalton, which was a tech school, oh, my goodness, four or five years ago. So, you know, even the school she went to may not be in place. But in 1948, 1948, almost 35 years before Florence Joyner, she was on track and field and was the first African-American to win a gold medal, the first. She did so, track and field, Albany State. So this woman is part of who paved the way for Ms. Joyner. We're talking about athletics. You know, it, there were times and places where you couldn't even compete. There, In 1967, uh, Boston Marathon, uh, Catherine Switzer, was running the Boston Marathon, and uh, they wanted her off the track so bad that the owner of the race, the Boston Marathon, the one who put everything together, came and pushed her off of the track. The audacity of people. How are you going to just come and push someone? Yep, came, pushed her off the track, said, what are you doing here? You do not belong. So here we have women when, um, you know, this is where we have women who are pushing their excellence. Coachman, the first African-American to win a gold medal, stopped her athletic career when she was 24. What if she would have went on to get more gold medals? But she stopped and she taught for the rest of her life. How wonderful. During the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, and everybody remembers those Olympics, they still have some of the, the building structures for those Olympics still in place. She was honored as one of the 100 greatest Olympians. One of the, so in 1996, she got this certificate in 19. 19- 48, 50, almost 50 years later, 50 years, it took you 50 years, 50 years. So she turned around and she was the one that opened the door for the others. Um, and, and Flo Jo was part of the others. Um, without her doing the, making sacrifices that she made, uh, there would not have been um, there wouldn't have been a Flojo or a Joiner Kirsty or there there wouldn't have been any of that. I always want to remember that, and then I, I so I like to talk about the before, and then I like to talk about the after, right? So, you know, here we have Flojo, the fastest woman of all time, still having records in place for what she did 30 
years ago. And then I want to talk about, and this isn't track and field, but this is athletics. I want to talk about um, Naomi Osaka, how she beat Serena in the opening, okay, in the Australia Open. And I love Serena Williams and all of her amazingness, okay, her amazingness as an athlete in her family dynamics in um, everything about her, in her marriage, in her motherhood, everything. And then this little Naomi, who is Haitian? Now, see, when she was first going up against um, Venus, she, uh, not Venus, when she was first going up against Serena Williams, oh, all you heard about was her Haitian lineage and blah, blah, blah. And so... Now that she's actually won, you haven't heard anything about it. But she keeps it real, real by always having um, these face masks that have the names of many of the African Americans that have fallen due to police brutality. So this little one knows something. And it's amazing and wonderful to see and to hear how even though you know, um, through through her own lineage and through her own expression, she is still working to be an advocate. One thing about athletes, and, and you know, I'm allowed to do this. I could talk all – I don't want to say I'm talking all over the place, but I do want to kind of connect a couple dots for people, okay? I need you to understand how important, one, these athletes are important because They, you know, all of the money that is created through sponsorships and endorsements, they should have access to that. That helps their lifestyle. That helps them continue. And it helps us to create black economics. You know, um, you'll hear me talk all the time about how we as African Americans are not doing enough to um, keep our black dollars black have them circle through our community, and one way that we can do that is by getting these dollars in the first place. We have to make sure, you know, in in order to get these dollars to circle through our community, we have to make sure that our community is getting the dollars in the first place. So they are. And a lot of times the athletes are the ones that have athletes, it could be like this, rappers, you know, they don't ask too many teachers. You know, they don't shove te- uh, microphones in the teacher's face and say, hey, what do you think about this? But those um, the athletes already have the attention, and, and so they're able to get a lot further with some of the things that they're working on. So um, she, all of her fast, um, like the one I saw um, of Osaki is, um, Osaka is uh, Sandra Bland. You know, and they they stuck the microphone right in her face. And said, well, what does it mean? And what does it mean? And she kind of looked at him and was like, uh, you know exactly what it means, you know. I don't have to explain it to you. You know. And, um, you know, that is a way of, of raising awareness, which is very much an activism type thing to do. But so when we're talking about Flojo and the contributions that she made as a black athlete, when we're moving that forward, we can't move it forward if we're not going to talk about um, uh, Venus and Serena Williams 
in Osaka. You know, we had we had to be able to talk about how her getting gold medals and creating black excellence and being able to get endorsements is going to allow for these young women to get endorsements, going to allow these young women to become part of um, that whole process and, and really being able to compete on these national levels. And so the way you do that, the way you're able to compete on national levels like that, you got to be good. You know, excellence is not a word that you can take lightly. You have got to really, um, you have to really, really be working hard to to keep that and to get that. So, uh, in this last Open, you know, this last Australia Open, to my surprise, Serena Williams is thirty nine. I can't believe that. You know, I these are I grew up. You know, as she was growing up. I was watching her grow up. She's only 39, and but Osaka is 23, 23, and already competing on those levels while um, competing on those levels while being so young and making a statement, you know. So uh, th- these are the types of examples that Flojo has set. And, in fact, when it comes to Serena Williams, she's had many, you know, because, like, we talked about the one-legged <laughs> the one-legged suit that um, Flojo was uh, iconic for wearing, her flashy suit, the flashy colors. Serena, who has fought the traditional um, tennis wardrobe forever, Venus, uh, yeah. Serena will wear um, black, and tennis is known for their white skirts. She has worn, we have seen Venus, Serena, wear a tutu. I was like, what are you doing? She's doing what she wants to do. She's wearing a tutu. Um, And then she wore one of the iconic um, one leg all the way down to the ankle and then the other one cut off. And so, you know, it is wonderful to see still see her her style being worn. You know, it's wonderful to see um, you know, her her nothing about her stopped. You know, even when her life ended, her style, her history, the lessons that she has to offer still continue. And it's an absolute wonderful to see for me to see because I get to say I remember when. I mean, I I remember staying staying glued to the TV, watching her perform, watching her compete, you know, watching the fastest woman, and the fastest woman was black, and and black and and very black, not a little black, very extraordinarily black, you know, and so it was awesome. It was awesome. And then so now as I I look at these young ladies and not so young at 39, but looking at those, uh, these Williams, these uh, Williams sisters, but particularly Serena and um, this other little one compete on this level is because of the black athletes that came before them. The Flojo's, the, um, Coachman and 
culture and went to an HBCU up down the street. That's amazing to me. That is absolutely amazing to me. Uh, I did my research. I didn't see where um, she had, Joyner had any children. She, I, I didn't see where she had any children. And so um, that legacy didn't get a chance to continue, but uh, down her lineage, but it was for the world. It was for the entire world. And so in the example she set, and um, there were rumors of um, performance-enhancing drugs. Anytime you're doing good, they're going to say that. You know, anytime that you are uh, pushing your envelope, um, doing what they call or what it looks like the impossible, they're always going to ask about, well, what is this and what is that? And she always tested fine. Um, and this was, I think, right before they had the mandatory drug test coming in. But um, there was never any anything found out, nothing substantiated, uh, no, no, um, nothing taken away from her or anything else like that. She was an all-around solid athlete and kicked it into hard drive once it was time. So, and everyone, every little girl wanted to do that. I remember when everyone styled her hair like her, got nails like her. It was just absolutely awesome. And so I I hope that this is another one. I'm not trying to give you homework, family. Not trying to give you homework. But if I could, this is the homework. (laughs) Take a moment to... uh, do some research on your own on African-American Olympic athletes. You know, I wonder if, you know, some of the men in the formation are going to choose athletes, if they're going to decide, hey, look, we're, we want to speak about, you know, the the works of this and the works of that because I know I did and had a great time doing it and really, really educational when it comes to teaching people about the greatness of who they are. You know, uh, there are people that may say, you know, coming from uh, our ancestry, our, 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 you know, especially our ancestry that was here in the United States, uh, there was a lot of times where we were, not a lot of times, slavery, it was chattel slavery which means um, they treated us like they treated us like stock. They treated us like animals. We were an asset on somebody's land, someone's farm, someone's inventory. Um, and so, when it comes to black athletes, they have been treated poorly since the beginning. We still have stories of this in um, our college sports particularly college sports, sometimes even in high school, you know, where um, they know that African-American, you know, this playing sports may be their only way out of their situation or playing sports is how they got into college and is more of an obligation than a desire. And so uh, understanding that we have always kind of been objectified when it comes to 
our physical proudness and being able to um, perform at high levels physically. And so there are some that, you know, really kind of get turned off by sports and turned off by um, and turned off by the, you know, being used by the system. And the Olympics are definitely a, simple, a system, and they are the um, an international system. And so there are some that really are don't support sports, um, especially for black people in the conditions that they've been, you know, kind of up, you know, brought up in. And so, you know, I get it, I get it, I get it. At the same time, that doesn't take anything away from all of the work that Flojo did. Okay? And so I really want to, um, you know, I want to recognize her excellence. Okay, hold on for just a second. Because there is a, an iconic, um, I, I can't remember his name, um, you know, because we're talking about activism. Yes, that's it. All right, here it is, 1968. One of the reasons why we have to talk about blacks and athletes and we have to talk about black power in Sports, even up into the Olympics, because in 1968, gold medalist Tommy Smith and bronze medalist John Carlos took the iconic picture showing the raised fist podium after the 200 race in the 1968 Summer Olympics. It was awesome. That I remember growing up, this was the picture. This was the picture that I remember. I just didn't know what year it was. And um, <laughs> so when we're talking about excellence, this this is what I think of, and this is what I saw. Um, and they were wearing human rights badges on their jackets. So, you know, again, athletes have always taken a stand, have always shown their support and their blackness because they know that this may be the one time, this may be the only time that um, that they have their five, ten minutes of, of uh, fame, you know. And so this is it. This is what they had to do. And so... This was 1968. She won her medals back in 19. She won her medals in 1984 and 1988. So 20 years later, 15, 20 years later, here she is representing her excellence in the same track and field. And I, I want to. I want to just, I had to just talk about this because it's so iconic. As they left the podium, they were booed by the crowd. 
And um, the bronze medalist that won said, if I win, I'm an American. If not, I'm a black American. But if I did something bad, they would say I was a Negro. We're black and we're proud of being black. Black Americans will understand just what we did tonight. And we did. And we did. They said they had they were concerned about the lack of black coaches. And they did it because Muhammad Ali got stripped of all of his titles. Whew. Now, who would have thought that running, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about sports. Who would have known, who would have thought that wanting to compete on Olympic level meant so much and all and had such a different connotation because they were black. Because they were black, it wasn't about winning for themselves. It was about if I can win, maybe they'll see me as equal. Maybe they'll see me as an American. If I did good, um, I can maybe be black. But if I mess up, I'm a Negro, I was like, wow, wow. Talk, talk about knowing your status. <laughs> talk about knowing who you are and where you are as you're doing it. Talk about understanding the politics that you're existing in. I know when my own son wanted to play sports, I had to go and eyeball these coaches. All the coaches were black, every single one. I had to eyeball each one of them and let them know, look, there's not a toy you're playing with. This is this is my family's asset. This is not just a toy. This is this is a whole asset. He's representing a lineage. I can't have you messing that up. Who would have thought in nineteen sixty eight that they would be that the sign and the symbol that they make now will forever be held. Who would have thought that the, what they were doing at that time would might be one of the only times and places and spaces their names are mentioned in the history books? You know, I, I wonder if people are making this history. Uh, do they realize this is <laughs> this is history? Or was it just, this is who I am, this is what I represent, this is what I do? As I learn more and as I do more and as I'm exposed to more, I can go and I can look at certain coaches. They're teaching black history. They're teaching, um, you know, it's not just a football game. They're teaching how. They're teaching about the refrigerator parries the greats that had to make the sacrifices before them. They're teaching about Michael Vick, who paid an incredible price. They're they're talking about, oh, God, who's the Eagles coach? Cunningham, uh, Eagles football player, quarterback. Um, they're, They're teaching about how the people that came before them and had to make the sacrifices that they made. So, you know, they have more appreciation for where they are and then realize they had to turn around and do the same thing. Don't mess up these scholarships. Don't do this. Don't do, go to school and actually get the education. 
So I, I really, really, really am glad that I was able to share Miss um, Flo Joe. Really glad because I was able to, you know, have fun with this. I was able to big up her name, gone too soon, a short 38 years old. 38. But the impact that she made was legendary. And, you know, just the bravery it takes to live out loud and to operate and to perform on that level and to do it as the dynamic power couple, that's real. You know, this is one of the sheroes. And I like this series is because I like this series for lots of reasons. But also it gives you an opportunity to kind of see who we are as a formation and to see the types of things that we support as a formation and what each person has to bring and the types of things that like. So the things that impact me, like Dr. Bethune-Cookman, like Flojo, you know, you'll begin to see why I am the way I am and why I have to demand excellence, why I have to work, fall and get back up, fall and get back up. You know, this is why we do what we do. This is why we do. You know, this has been personal for me. I, I had the opportunity to share some of the things. I need there to be more black Barbie dolls. Yes, we can make our own, blah, 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 blah. But I want Barbie to have to recognize. I mean, if Barbie's going to be getting some of these black dollars, I need them to provide me with a black Barbie. Barbie had um. It, I'm not going to be talking about Barbie all night because I only got five more minutes. But they did an um, they did a sorority edition, and they had all of the black sororities in their baby in their Barbie dolls. Um, you know, Barbie will do whatever they need to do to get your dollars. Now that they realize you won't buy a white Barbie. Now, if we can get Barbie, we're talking about Barbie and Ken. We're talking about with the dream house and the sports car and everything else. If we can make Barbie give us what we're looking for, we can make the government give us what we're looking for. We have to be strategic. We have to let them know, hey, hey, you're not getting my dollars. You're not getting my vote. You're not getting anything from me until I get what I'm looking for, okay? And the way we go about doing that is we have to continue to educate ourselves and continue to understand the types of things, what is considered excellent, how do we consider going about it, how do we support each other in the middle of our excellence. It takes support now. It took support. Flojo almost didn't make it. She almost wasn't the household name. You know, back in those days, it was, it was, she was always there. We, everyone wanted to know what she was doing, and they loved her being as extravagant as she wanted to be in a black way. How amazing. So homework for the evening. If you can, take a minute and check out a picture of my girl, okay? Check, check out the hair. Check out the nails. You know, really, really be like, man, she was out there. I, don't, I can't forget about... I'm going to call her Gabby, the gymnast. You know, there there would be no gymnast. There would be no, there would be, there's so many things 
that we would be missing if we didn't have people step forward and say, this is who I am, this is who I'm going to be, and I'm going to do this in a very extravagant way, okay? So please continue to listen. We do this every Thursday, 8 o'clock, so that you can learn more about some people you may already have a little bit of information about, but let's take it a step further. Let's explore, like we had to explore the Olympics. We can't talk about we can't talk about Flojo and not talk about the Olympics. We can't talk about black female um, athletes and not talk about Serena Williams. We can't talk about uh, Flojo and not talk about the first African American woman to win a gold medal, Coachman. So all of these things are lined up, and we do this, family, so that you can really see how how well rounded we are. What Flojo was up against and what she left in the dust. So take a minute. I would love for you to check out a picture. I would love for you also, YouTube, check out one of her um, races. Oh, she used to dust them and did so in style. So take a second, check it out. We'll be back here next Thursday, 8 o'clock, hour learning more about African Americans that impact our history. All right, thank you. This has been National Director of Operation 7. Um, peace and all power to the people. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.